You're listening to Q&A Over Coffee. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for obtaining accounting, tax, or financial advice from a professional accountant. Well, welcome to Olson Thielen's Q&A Over Coffee. This is episode number 10, and uh, I'm Tom Pesch, and today we have with us Tony Oman, and Tony is our practice leader in the valuation practice, and it's been a very dynamic part of the business. We get a lot of call from external sources and internal partners to get valuation work done. Today, we're going to talk a little with Tony about what it means, how it works, and how it's relevant, and uh, you know why it's important. So, Tony, we're going to ask you, give us a short introduction about you. Who are you? What, what do you sure. do? Well, first, thanks for having me. Um, I feel like I'm, I've kind of made it, right? I'm on a podcast, so. Yeah, so my background, I, uh, you know, I lead, I lead the valuation practice here at Olson Thielen. I have a little bit of a non-traditional background in that I, I didn't grow up in an accounting firm. Um, I started my career in corporate finance at IBM. So I spent my 20s um, doing FP&A work. I did some pricing work. They, you know, went to school, got an MBA, and I sort of the the second epoch of my career was to step into um, consulting and valuation work. Um, so, so that's where I've been. It's been almost 10 years now. Love the work. I've got to work with lots of different clients, all the way from Fortune 500 clients, United Health Group, Caterpillar all the way to the middle market and small business owners, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in revenue. So I've, I've been able to see kind of the whole, the whole array. And you've worked on some deals with me and I always find your advice super helpful. And we've uh, helped some clients uh, divest of some businesses. Uh, we don't seem to be on the buy side um, enough, but, uh, but helping them divest is important. And we're going to talk about why that matters today. Because oftentimes, as you know, that sometimes the business owners, their largest asset is wrapped up in their closely held business. It, it, that, that's really true. I mean, I would, I would say, you know, most of the time, um, you know, there's folks that are independently wealthy or serial entrepreneurs that there's an exception to that. But most of my clients, um, the biggest asset that we're talking about is their business, and they're exiting um, is, I kind of call it the, it's like the financial Super Bowl of their life, right? Whether really? they know it or not. Right. Well, they've worked sometimes, in some cases, they've worked their entire career. Um, Absolutely. Generating this asset. So let's, so let's talk about business valuations. I mean, I know there's different methods and factors that play into it. There's best practices. And so let's start, give, let's give our listeners a little overview of, of what a business valuation is and, and why it's so crucial for both business owners and investors and kind of what is it? Yeah. So I'll take the first part of that question. I mean, what it is, is what it sounds like, right? We don't, you know, a private business, we don't have a a publicly traded stock market that tells me the price of something, right? But we as business owners or investors, we still need to understand what the value is. Um, You know, that's really what we're doing. Um, so it, it's really what it sounds like. We're assessing value. We're opining as to what something is worth. You know, the why it's important, I mean, I think there's there's kind of the easy answer, and then there's maybe a little more of a fundamental kind of deeper answer. So, 
you know, it, it can be important the same way a tax return is important for lots of compliance reasons. I mean, you know, Tom, you're a CPA. Maybe we work with clients on estate planning and gifting. So in these situations, I mean, a lot of listeners might have experience with these situations. You know, evaluation is a compliance exercise, right? No different than a tax return or, you know, maybe an audit. So, so it's important there. But where I would argue it's really important is it's, it's really more of a, of a tool or a framework to think about investing, right? How am I going to allocate capital? Should I buy this business at this price? Should I sell this business at this price? It's a way to help owners and business people make financial decisions. And I think going forward, when you strike a value, say if you're mid-career and you know, you're know you 40-ish and you've got this business you're growing, it probably, we'll talk about this in a second, but you like to learn how do you increase value so you can market, and I mean mark it with a value, and then how do you grow it? Exactly. I think I think that point's critical for listeners. I mean, I I don't know if you've seen those uh, those matrices of you know some things are important but not urgent. Yeah. Oh some yeah. Some things are oh, yeah. important and urgent. Some things are not important and not urgent. You know. Yeah. So I would argue val- You know, for your point, if I'm a forty year old mid career growing a business, I would argue it's important, but it's not urgent, right? It's not always you're running the business, you're trying to grow it. But when it's urgent, right, if you wait till you're 60 or 65 and you want to exit, um, it eventually becomes important, right? We all, I tell clients, we all exit businesses, whether we want to or not, right? Whether it's a thoughtful process or we die in our office, right? right? I mean- And then that kind of answers the question why it's crucial. You know, it's the mechanism of investing and for those that own it. And, you know, we oftentimes will have somebody sell it or they'll transfer it uh, in a gift process. Um, But in the context of, you know, a lot of baby boomers, there's a lot of wealth changing hands right now um, in in the world. So in the retirement planning process, when you have somebody who's like a dad or two senior brothers, and they want to bring in their sons. How does the retirement plan process come into this on the valuation concept? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, in terms of thinking about your retirement and how you want to do that, or I mean, even your legacy, right, as an owner, um, you know, how you exit it, it the value depend. I mean, it, you know, you can exit with a sale to, to an outside buyer. So it's, it's kind of like the simple, uh, sort of traditional exit. Uh, but if, you know, there's lots of ways. So it's a broader exit planning question. Um, how we value companies in the context of maybe transferring to kids, um, you know, brothers, sisters, whatever that may be, um, it really does impact that plan, right? In that context that you're referring to, there's discounts taken. So there's all different kinds of things. And, you know, that that's getting a bit down in the weeds. But um, these are things that business owners have to understand right, before they embark on that plan to, you know, and really what they want to do, right? What's that legacy? Um, and, and what are, like any financial plan, what are they trying to achieve in right. retirement, right? And how do they best do that? So like the last podcast we were at with Greg Nelson, he said that a lot of real estate investors actually, they don't have 401ks because they have a, a portfolio of real estate yeah. partnerships or, you know, positions they might own in real estate deals. In your case, you might help a client understand that their retirement plan really 
the primary asset in that is their closely held business. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I listened to that podcast. I think you and Dick Craig did a great job. It, it's really a very similar idea, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. if, if it, it, you know, in that context, we were talking about real estate investors and holding a portfolio of properties. It's really the same thing here, right? I mean, we're doing the same thing. Greg talked about doing cash flows and how you do that. You guys talked about, you know, the tax implications of how that works. I'm doing the same thing with an operating business, right? Where that, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of get to that maybe here in a second about how that works. But it, it, it's, you know, an investor is thinking about value in that same way, even if they, they maybe they don't call it valuation, right? Um, in this context, I mean, we, you know, I could be a general contractor. I may have a construction business. I may have a manufacturing business. It's the same idea that that we went through in that podcast, but that's your main asset. Um, that's what you're, you know, you're driving for. And yes, that is often what's going to, you know, fund or at least partially fund your retirement. And one of the things that I think is cool about the valuation practice is that you guys do an industry analysis. So, for example, if you were once upon a time in the um, eight-track cassette tape business, that goes a long ways back, and that probably reflects how old I am. Some of the people would never even know what that is. They probably say, "You mean an MP3?" Yeah. So you might have saw that coming, that everything's going digital, and you might pivot to become a something else. So had the the valuation practice is really kind of cool because it gives an industry scope of what's going on with a particular client's business. I think that's really interesting because it helps you avert risk and manage the business to maybe a higher ground. Yeah, I think. I think where you're going there is is an important point. You know, assessing value and and getting to a number. Uh, obviously, there's there's compliance reasons like we talked about, but often the act of valuation and forcing an owner to really think from the outside in, think how an investor would look at your company, think about your industry, right? You know, you're talking about if if you know there's industries in a certain life cycle, if it's a you know a shrinking market, I mean, maybe you have to make assessments and judgments as to if you're going to continue to play in this space, maybe you make pivots. So, you know, where where a company lands and just that that process of going through and thinking critically about your company, the industry, and what what your strengths and weaknesses are, all of that is a part of the valuation process. It's a part of what we, you know, document our reports. And um, it's really a critical part of what an appraiser does. And um, I think that can be as important. I think sometimes the uh, the valuation process will actually, quote unquote, ding a business owner for being too invested or too um, uh, engaged in their business. They don't have enough process in place. They don't have a, they don't have great IT structure. Maybe their accounting process is weak, or maybe they don't have a good HR process. It's not scalable. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about some. Uh, some detail items about, because I'm sure our listeners would probably want to learn, you know, how, how is a business valued? What's the high level concepts of valuation? Yeah. So, so the short, an- I mean, there's lots of ways we could do it. Um, the, the real short answer is there's typically two ways people will see that. So I'm going to talk about the two most common ways that a company is valued. One is, through a, a cash flow model. So again, kind of taking it back to the prior session with Greg and real estate investors, we're doing the same thing with every company, right? We're doing, we're building a cash flow projection. The idea is a business is a financial asset. So what drives the value of a financial asset is what I can expect to earn in the future, right? 
Um, that that's a key critical aspect to almost any valuation. Now, I always say that you know, oftentimes when you have a target acquisition, that the target actually makes the payment to the seller over time, and so the ability for it to throw off cash flow actually determines its value, and it makes total sense. I mean, if you have a business that's not making any money and somebody wants to buy it, why would they buy it? Why would they put attach any value to it? Correct. I mean, theoretically in that scenario, right, the value zero, right? Um, now, now, the other way, I mean, just to kind of uh, circle back, the other common way would be the idea of relative value. So what does that mean, right? Appraisers will use the term a market approach. So all we're really saying there is I can ascribe value based on what someone's willing to pay for some other similar business, right? So, I mean, if we're, you know, if we watch CNBC and we, you know, we hear people talking about, you know, Microsoft trades for this multiple and Google trades for that multiple, therefore, you know, one's cheaper than the other. Well, that what they're really talking about is a relative value concept, right? So what I would say, I mean, just to, to kind of bring this home is, so those are the two most common ways to think about value. Really what they should do and what a good appraiser will do is those should feed each other, right? They should help each other. It should, it, one should help you understand the other, right? So what do I mean by that? In a vacuum, if I look at a company and say, okay, similar companies are trading for two times sales, but maybe some are three times sales or one and a half times sales, that's a big range, I don't really know what to do with that data unless I understand and go through the exercise of trying to develop a cash flow forecast. Then I understand why it might trade for two times sales or three times sales. Maybe there's more growth. Maybe there's more risk. We'll get to some of those things. But so, so that's where I, they, they should really be kind of linked together. But those are the two common ways people will see. That's an interesting um, point because a lot of times when I see uh, valuations done by external sources in the medical practice, which is where I spend most of my time, they'll have multiple uh, values and then they'll they'll average them up and they'll combine them and then they come up with kind of an overall price. Um, and then they test that against the cash flow that the target can actually kick off to the seller over time. So um, I, that I've often thought of some rules of thumb, but I don't want to reference those because I don't know that they're accurate and I don't want our listeners to think that a particular multiple is the way because it's not. It's a lot about upside potential. So right now, like in the chip makers, they're, they got a lot of upside potential and, you know, maybe somebody who is, uh, you know, um, doing something that's less uh, dynamic, like it's a lesser value. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think your point to build on that, I think it's a good one. Um, you know, I see clients someone at, uh, you know, maybe an industry event says, hey, you know, companies are going for two times sales. And then people get in their mind that their company's worth two times sales. Just, I'm, you know, again, as a thought experiment. And that can be, what I would say is that can be dangerous for the reasons we're talking about, right? There's a unique fact pattern. There's, you know, you talked about risks or concentration risks, which we can get into growth opportunities. Those are reasons why you may be worth more. You may be worth less. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a, a little bit of a dangerous way to think so, like that. So, you know, the two times multiple rule of thumb, you know, that one business might not be profitable. One might be. One might have great IT structure. One might have great HR and the other ones don't. One might be totally captive on a lease arrangement. One doesn't. I mean, it just, it's, it's all about the big picture. 
So given that, so what drives valuation? I mean, how do you get there? Yeah, that, that, I think that's where we're kind of, it's a good segue into that. Um, I've described this to clients in multiple ways. I've heard other people describe it. To me, the best way I think about it, and I think is kind of most understandable, is valuation is kind of like a big soup, right? You take a bunch of ingredients, right? Uh, the points you talked about, IT systems, accounting systems, uh, concentrations where maybe a business owner is too involved, right? I would call that a concentration risk. Um, you take all, you take that fact pattern, right? You build, you do your due diligence, you kind of throw it into a big bucket and kind of like a soup, right? You stir it all around and you get something. Um, so the easiest way to boil it down is all those things we talked about and we, you know, we could spend an entire podcast talking about different aspects of business. All three of them kind of get to three main points that I would, I would leave for the listeners. Cash flow, right? Growth and risk. Right. So just just to kind of bring it back up. Right. Those those concentrations you talked about, you know, those are risks to a buyer. Mm -hmm. Right. So all things equal, I may have an an economically identical cash flow company to my peer over here. But again, they trade for they could go for different multiples. They're valued differently because there's a whole other fact pattern. Off to the side, that means there's more or less risk, right? I mean, this all kind of could be regional, could be different industry, could be their people structures different, but the cash flow might be the same. Exactly. Got it. Uh, So, cash flow uh, risk. Growth. What about? I mean, so they all get put together in a big pile, and you just kind of is 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 it as much art as science, or is it science leading to art? I I would say it's um, as much science as we can, leading to art. Data driven. It's it's a yeah. It sh- it should be when done well. It's data driven, right? There's a due diligence process that we are going through to understand what that fact pattern is and what the data supports. So is part of the data like controllable, uncontrollable, or what? what is, what is it, uh, yeah, what are the variables on Yeah, that? let's talk about that. So, so right, we talked about, you know, the, the simplest way to boil down values, those three variables. I think for business owners, it's probably a little bit easier to understand some of that they can control and some of it they can't, right? So... Let's talk about like what's not controllable. All right. So for the last 18 months, we've been living in an environment with a higher interest rates, right? At moving least, up. Moving up, right? At least relative to the prior decade or so, yes. right? Um, well, what that means is capital, right? To go get capital, to go to a bank, to get financing, to finance deals, it's more expensive. Right. Right. Well, what that means is the math, I can't pay as much right. for the asset. The math breaks down. So what that means is to transact, value comes down. So as capital becomes more expensive, value goes down. Uncontrollable. Again, un- it's totally uncontrollable to a business owner. Interesting. Right? And again, and, and it can work in both ways. So so that's a good example of, you know, I could value a company, the exact same company, generally similar financial performance, 18 months apart. Why is the value different? Because I'm in a different environment. You know, last week there, the, with Greg, we talked about the fact that the real estate deals don't work as well when there's leverage because now there's a cost of the interest in there 
Same concept with a closely held business, whether it's a manufacturer, a wholesaler, a service firm. There's a cost of the equity. It's exactly the same. So, so part of what we're doing is, you know, again, like Greg, you know, he's looking at the cash flow a property produces. We're looking at the cash flow this this operating business produces. Okay, well, if I put leverage on that, it's just math. There's only so much. There's only so high I can go with that leverage, right? And before I I get dangerous and then I'm risking financial flexibility, right? These things are important when you structure a deal, right? So. It, that that scenario, that concept really impacts value. And, and a lot of us, you know, just to take it generally back, we probably saw our, you know, our investments and, in, you know, 401ks decline in value, right? The market declined in value. So the cost of capital is a big, it's a financial structure. It's mostly balance sheet, but it does impact the P&Ls for value. Then other, are there other multiples, market multiples or what else? Yeah, I mean, some things, you know, this, you know, this kind of gets back to... Um, there's different ways to think about this, but you know, let's try to keep it simple. Like, like I would say, investor sentiment, right? Like, so, what's the hot topic now? You know, machine learning and AI, right? And if you've got a startup, or you're working, or you know, you're working in that, and of course now, you know, everyone's trying to attach that to what they do. But um, if you have that kind of story, right? The sentiment's very strong. There's a yeah, it kind of translates to there's a lot of potential growth that that people see people see that market that total addressable market I call it a TAM that that TAM being very large right um, that might be different than a business owner who's been operating a family business in a maybe a declining manufacturing sector right that's not really controllable to them now again maybe over a long enough period of time they can pivot and do different things like that but at 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 sort of at that moment that sentiment and where sort of the market views that you can have very different multiples right for those sort of two extremely different types of companies interesting so the prospect of future growth really does definitely impact the value and it goes up to this this growth factor which was one of the three items you used and that that the AI is really hot right now and so, okay, so those are kind of uncontrollable. Then, so how do business owners tweak or dial up or down value inside their business? So you've got a talented management team and they're trying to increase value. What are they going to do? Yeah, I, th- I would say there's that's where it gets really interesting because um, that gets into more broader strategy. So let's talk about the easy one. So in my mind, the easiest thing to do is, you know, we're all looking for efficiencies, right? If there's fat on the bone, you know, if we've got redundancy somewhere that and there's expense we can take out, that's it. That's going to increase cash flow. Going back to that idea, value all all else equals going to go up, right? So that that's kind of the simple thing, sort of the low hanging fruit. Um, where things get more interesting is, and kind of circle back to a point you made earlier. You know, you talk about maybe a business owner is very engaged in the day to day management, right? I've seen situations where a business owner, I'm just going to again sort of be extreme. Maybe 60 to 70% of their customer relationships are about this individual. This individual is well-liked by the customer group. And, you know, often a question I'll ask to sort of flush this idea out is it's kind of a morbid question, but like, okay, if you got hit by a bus tomorrow, what happens? Well, that's a risk item though. It, and... well, well, yes, but that's so, so my point is, okay, what do I do, right? right? So the point is, in that scenario, right, what I talk with people is like, you, you got to figure out how to leverage. Leverage is difficult, right? I mean, 
in our business, Tom. I mean, we leveraging, leveraging and building professionals behind you is it's very, very challenging. It's not easy, right? And it's not something you can change overnight, right? Right. You've got to build the skill sets of your team. Maybe you have to go out and get them. You know, you you have to find ways to bring people in, maybe in more client discussions, whatever that means, right? There's no there's no silver bullet in every situation to solve that problem. But it is over the long term, these are things you can do to reduce your risk, right? To reduce your concentration risk in that concept, right? Does that make sense? Yes. And it's interesting that when you start to increase leverage in a business, that there's a couple of byproducts I've always, I've seen, and I've done it with my own career, and I've, I've advised clients along the way, is that when you start working with other people and you do people development, you get to see per, uh, the people in your business blossom. And that's very satisfying intangibly. I mean, you have a, a very talented sales manager, maybe they're really good, or maybe a very talented uh, finance professional, and you let them do some stuff. It's very cool. And secondly, what happens is it gets you the ability to step away from the business. If you want to go on a vacation, you don't have to be watching the phone all 24-7 because you know you got Sue or Bill watching the shop while you're gone and you trust them. Correct. So there's some byproducts around this list, lesser control um, lesser um, concentration to the owner, and it, there's you know good things. It's great, yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's you know free frees people up to you know live a better life potentially, right? Um, I mean, it's, it's it goes beyond valuation in that sense. You know, because at the end of the day, we're just trying to get through this game at the end of the year or at the end of the world um, to try to do something for our people and to maybe be financially secure. So this reduced concentration, that's an interesting concept, has some byproducts. Um, how, so how do you grow then back to strategy? If, do you try to like clone the owner? If, this, if it's a superstar sales guy, do you like try to get like clone two or three of them and then expand yeah, gr- gr- horizontally? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and you know, we could probably spend a whole podcast talking about growth and strategy, but I'll, I'll, try, to, I'll try to wrap it up here, my, my two cents. You know, when we think about growth, right, I would argue growth is a, it's a goal. It's not really a strategy. The strategy is how do I achieve that growth? Good point. Right? Excellent. So, yep. so, okay, well, if we think about it logically, you know, there's different ways to grow, right? Maybe, um, maybe I can, maybe I have the, the services or the product I provide, but I, I can, I can get to a different geography, right? I can enter a different market. Perfect example. Right? Maybe... I need to add to my capabilities, right? Maybe we need to do a different service, right? And we can we can grow that way and sort of maybe close to our core. Think of an accounting firm, right? We have traditional accounting work, but we also have valuation and advisory work. They all fit together very nicely, right? But that's a way to grow the business. Um, you can offer more services to your clients, right? That's a growth. But, but depending on what you choose, right, and how you want to go to market, that that's going to depend, and that's going to that's going to be again a long term driver, right? You don't you don't do that overnight, but depending on how you want to grow, that's that's where it gets back to your strategy, and that's where you know the act of evaluation and 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 going through that process can be helpful for people to think through, and actually adds value. Correct. So you either go to a different geographic, you add additional products and services that makes the business larger. So when there's a margin. Cash flow, correct, I mean, correct. Over, over a lifetime, right? You and can... then, and then, once you decide how you want to grow, you know, we, I mean, what tools do you have the skills internally to grow? Do you need to acquire, you know, maybe new people? Maybe you go through an acquisition strategy, right? 
because you need to bolt on services or products or, you know, whatever that means. But there is a sort of logical path you can think through, you know, how, what, what is the strategy I'm going to use to solve my problem? I need to grow, right? So, so then bringing it back to, kind of to a, a more basic level. So if you're trying to enhance value, uh, you probably have some detail items you can deal with. Maybe you call them tactics. And then you probably have some more strategic things to do. Tell us a little bit about those two items. I mean, what would you, how would you categorize? What would you say about that? Well, yeah. So, I mean, you know, again, tactical, I mean, I guess tactical items can be, you know, I guess in my mind, things like clean up, you know, we'll, we'll probably get to this, but you know, clean up your financial statements, right? So part of what you're trying to do with a buyer is help them understand your business. And, you know, I see, I see clients with, say, just tax returns. Tax returns are done for a reason, as you well know, Right. What I would say is the reason is not to best display the economics, but it's to, you know, right, that's, that's what I'm interested in. I would totally agree. The right? purpose is to calculate your, your tax. Bingo. And so you're trying to tamp down that income. Correct. Or Correct. at least be strategic about how you do that. Correct. So, so, so you know, going back, I mean, helping um, investors and buyers understand your business, you know, those are some simple tactical items. But, you know, the strategic items go back to, you know, kind of a little bit of what we spoke about. But, um, you know, if I have concentrations, if I'm key to the business, you know, these are longer term plans, right? Talent management plans, right? You know, you, we can talk about people management and all the things, you know, you kind of referred to. These are some of the strategic items that really get you going back to the very beginning. Okay, here's what I want to achieve, right? how do I get there, right? Here's where I am today, but how do I really get this business where I want it to be? Those are the things you really need to think so through. Some people might call that, you know, the strategic initiatives are about people development, process development, marketing development, creating products and services uh, that can kind of kind of take care of and kind of go on their own. And then the, the tactical items, I've seen clients, we've always advised them that maybe they should be getting audits, maybe they should be uh, getting the personal expenses off the books. I mean, if they've had their kids on the payroll, which is not uncommon, or a spouse, or a, you know, maybe they should get back to reality because what it does is it enhances the net income, and ultimately increases value. Now, you as a value guy, I'm sure you know that you do this normalization. You kind of take those out of there. Um, just speak just for a second or two on the normalization concept, and then we're going to kind of wrap it up. Yeah, yeah, just to be, you know, quick. I mean, really what, that's part of the due diligence is, you know, we'll go through the financial statements and really try to understand and identify what are these, I call them seller discretionary expenses. It could be, you know, anything that really don't help me understand the economics of the business, right? Um, so really what you're trying to do as a buyer, as an investor, is understand what is the economics of this asset? What am I what am I gonna inherit, right? Once I get, you know, your kid off the payroll, whatever, whatever that means, right? When the business transfers. So um that is a process where we adjust the financial statements. Yep. Um and then there's a process to do that. But but going back to the original point, the the cleanest starting point makes that much easier and much more efficient. I just recently helped a client finish a sell. And the acquisition team on the other side, they went back 36 months by month, and they normalized every month. Very detailed. There was a national firm, and they were out of town. But it was a very detailed process. Okay, so so Tony, I think we're, we're kind of out of time. And I, I just want to just 
you know, here we are. Valuation, it's important. You can tweak it. There's some strategy. There's some tactics. How do you grow it? Um, last comments. What do you think? Valuation's important because? Well, I think, um, you know, it's important to, it's, it's, it's important the same way investing is important, right? I mean, I w- you know, I would argue if, if, if I'm a corporate executive, you know, buying a company or, or again, on the sell side, if I'm selling, this could be the biggest decision of your life. Um, you know, on the buy side, I would argue if you, if you, that's something you potentially mess up, that's all, you know, C-level executives get fired. Um, you know, and again, on the sell side, this is your one chance, right? To, right. It, it's it's your financial Super Bowl. It's so your, your cash out day. It, it's kind of hard for me to sort of underplay, you know, uh, the potential impact at what this could mean, you know, on the rest of your life. Well, okay. So great ideas, great com- context, great conversation, Tony. I Like I said at the top of this, you always are interesting to talk to and always been super helpful. And um, boy, uh, you know, I would encourage our listeners if they've got questions, call you direct. You're part of the Olson Thielen team uh, in the Roseville location. Um, and very strategic. It's more than just putting the numbers on the tax returns. Um, very good advice. I always enjoy hanging out with you. And so with that, I think uh, I'll ask you just one last question. Do you drink coffee? How do you like your coffee? I do. I, I yeah. use some whole milk in it. Your whole milk? No sugar, I, okay, No sugar, though? No sugar. Okay, because the last guy was more like sugar with coffee. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks, for right. ha- Thanks for having me, Tom. You're welcome. Thank you for coming in. Check out all of our podcast episodes on the Q&A over coffee page on the Olson Thielen website. This is also a place where you can sign up to be notified whenever a new episode goes live. You can also listen to the podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon. And be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.